The book of Galatians has time and again been used by God to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people. It has been referred to as the Magna Carta of the early church, the Declaration of Freedom. It would seem that each time God's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace, God uses this book of Galatians to bring about a renewed excitement, a renewed passion for what real Christianity is all about, Jesus plus nothing. Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to. So halfway, halfway through verse 12 now, Paul's going to start to share his heart. And, and you know, Paul, I think, has, has gotten the, the label or the critic that he's just this hard guy, and he's just mean, and he's cruel, he's sexist. And we saw that earlier. He's, you know, the originator of the uh, uh, equal rights movement. Um, but here we see his heart. And Paul, he's got these people on the ropes. I mean, after all those arguments in, in, in chapters three and on, on to, into chapter six and chapter four, sorry, he's he's drilled them. You foolish Galatians, what were you thinking? What's going on? You're crazy people for all this. And he's got them up for the kill. At any moment now, he can just lay into them, right? Or he's talking about, I've labored for you. Now he could use manipulation and guilt. Oh, have I suffered for you? Oh, what was me? What I've gone through? I nearly died for you, and this is how you treat me? Oh, I can't believe I mean, he could begin to manipulate these people, but that's not what he's saying. He says he appeals to them on their heart. He's, he's gone to their head now with these six points. Now he goes to their heart. And he says, you've done me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Now, some have seen this bodily illness as referring to Paul's thorn in the flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, which very, very, uh, very well may be. In fact, later on he talks about, you'd have plucked up my, your eyes for me. And so a lot of people believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an eye problem. And whether he was going blind or, or some other kind of disease, uh, a lot of people thought that's what it was. It may be. It very well may be. Uh, it may also be the bodily illness just was all the abuse that he took on his missionary journey. Because remember, he was stoned, and they left him for dead outside the city. He was being persecuted. He was being chased all over the countryside. So that might have been the bodily illness. It might have been that he had the flu. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know, Right. But I don't think it's the issue of what was the body illness. It was rather, what was the response to it, right? That which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Listen, when we were at the beginning, when we were living by faith, when you were living by faith, you loved me. You didn't have a law to tell me to do this. You didn't have a law to tell, tell yourself to do this. You didn't, you didn't, the law didn't, thou shalt, you know, take care of Paul. There was no law for that. But you loved me. You cared for me. And, and we loved one another. There was no law. Right? The goal of our instruction is to love from a pure heart. And that was happening without the law. Where then is that sense of blessing? This word, word blessing... In, in the Greek, is, is makirimos. I'm sure I didn't say that right. Um, 
What's interesting here is this word here. Anyone know, know what that word is? Kairos? Grace. Where was this sense of grace? What's happened? What's happened to you guys? You had it. Where is it gone? For I bear you witness that if possible, you'd have plucked out your eyes and given them to me, so I've become your enemy by telling you the truth? What's happened? Do you hear my heart, Paul's saying? Because really, his heart is God's heart. He's sharing from what's on God's heart. Because remember, these people back in Galatians 1, who did they walk away from? Did they walk away from Paul? I can't believe it how quickly you have deserted him, Jesus, right? They, they eagerly seek you, but not commendably. For they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. You see, if, if we put other people under law, I get to control you now. You're under my law system. This is what you need to do in order for us to be okay. And this is, this is a big attraction for churches. Right? Because if we don't tell people in our churches to tithe, will we be able to pay our mortgage? Or more importantly, will we be able to pay the pastor's salary? <laughs> Maybe that's more important, right? Will we be able to pay the bills? Right? If, if we don't tell you to work in the nursery, will we have a nursery? If we don't get you to work in the, the young people's program, will we have a young people's program? And so as long as I've got you under this law system, I can control you. And not only that, you need me. You depend upon me. Because when you need to do something, you go turn to me. I'm now important. I become God to you. And people love power. And they seek that power. And it's not commendably. Right? The greatest... The greatest thing I can ever hear from a person coming to, to, for discipleship here is for them to turn to me and say, Ross, I don't need you. That is the greatest thing I could ever hear. My heart leaps when people say that. <coughs> I don't need you because I've got Jesus. He's the one I need. I don't need to depend upon you. And I'm thinking, oh God, I'm so excited. Because if you're dependent upon me, we're both in trouble, <laughs> right? Because I'm not God. And you, you say amen to that, right? You, you're good. That's, that's good news. That I'm not God. You don't want me to be your God. And I don't want to be your God. And so the greatest thing a person can say, I don't need you because I've got Jesus. But these people, they want you to need them. It gives them power. Now, it's good to always want to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. I mean, I don't have a problem people wanting to come see, come hear this wonderful message of grace, but it's in a commendable manner because we're pointing them to Jesus. And that's what all teachers are to do. That's what Scripture does. I mean, John 5, 39 and 40, the, the, the Pharisees were there, and he, he grabs the Bible. He grabs the Scriptures, essentially. He says, you, you search for eternal life in here. The scriptures, the holy word of God, but you will not find it. You will find no life in the word of God. That's what Jesus said. Because the word of God points to me. Points to me, Jesus says, for I am eternal life. And so when we read the Bible, it's pointing us to Christ, who is life. 
When you hear a teacher, hopefully they're pointing you to Jesus, who is life. Not to them, not to their program, not to their method, not to their church, not to their book, which is available for $12.95, operator standing by. It's not being pointed that way, but being pointed to Christ, right? My children, with whom I again am in labor until Christ is formed. Do you hear his heart? I'm still fighting for you, though. You're worth it. I'll go through it all over again. I'm still going at it. I'm still going to fight for you. But I wish I could be present with you now and I could change my tone. I wish you could hear my heart. I wish you could hear what I'm saying. For I am perplexed about you. I don't get it. I don't understand what has happened. What's going on? But now in verse 21, Paul's going to come back and he says, okay, that's my heart, but all right, one more stab at it. One more kick at the can here. All right, to you who want to be under law, and that's anyone who's under law, right? Because they're there because they want to be. Right? Not to those who have been forced, but those who want to be under law. All right. Do you not listen to the law? I mean, do you not do you not understand what the Bible's saying? Think for a second. I mean, Malcolm Smith says it says a great. He says it the English accent, which I don't even try. But he says, "Think, have a good think, a jolly good think." For goodness' sake, I mean, do that. That's what Paul's saying here. Do you not listen to the law? Think, Christian. Think, have a jolly good think. For goodness' sakes, right? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. Again, he's going back to Abraham. You know, the, the law, the, the Judaizer's favorite character, he's going to use them. He says, think for a second about Abraham. Now, think about his story. Abraham, he's 75 years old. All he's ever wanted was a son, wanted an heir. And at age 75, God comes up to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a seed, singular. And out of that, your descendants will be multiple. You won't be able to count them. It'll be greater than the, the stars in the sky, greater than the sands and the seashore. You're going to have all kinds of descendants. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, right? Not just one nation in Israel, many nations, including Gentiles, right? That's what he promised them. And Abraham thinks, wow, thank you, God. 75, never had a child, never had an heir, but I have an heir. That's the will of God for my life. So he goes about now setting on his own strength to set out the will of God, to satisfy the will of God. And he turns to Lot. Lot was his nephew. His, Abraham's brother had died. And, and it was by his right he could claim Lot as his heir, as his nephew. And he did that. And he takes Lot and he follows God's command, leaves Ur, and goes, travels towards the promised land. And then God comes up to him, and, or eventually he came up to him, where him and Lot and the, the herds, the, the, the shepherds that are under them, they just kept fighting and couldn't get along. And so they had to split ways. Abraham said, Lot, you go one way, I'll go the other. And they split, right? Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah, not so wise. Abraham went the other way, right? So God comes up to him again, and, and he says, I'm going to give you an heir. And, Lot says, and Abraham says at this point, I've got nowhere. I, I've lost Lot. I had to make Eliezer, who was a, a slave born in my house, my heir, which I'm allowed to do again. He's born in my house. He's my property. I've claimed him as my heir. And God says, oh, no, Abraham, don't worry. He's going to come from your own family. He's going to be born of your own loins, in fact. Oh, really? Oh, great. 
So he gets rid of Eliezer. Eliezer thought he won the lottery. Now he's you know, back in the boroughs. And, and so he's gone. And Abraham thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an heir now through my own loins. I'm going to have my own son. And he's all excited. And then for some reason, don't understand this fully, Sarah comes up to him and says, you know what? You should sleep with my maidservant and have a child through her. I don't understand why that was Sarah's idea. I don't think I'll ever understand that, but that was her suggestion, right? Abraham, he said, okay. So he goes ahead, and, and he does, right? He sleeps with Hagar, and she conceives and has a son, and it's Ishmael, right? And he says, God, I've hopped my air. Bless him. God says, no way. Not on your life. No way. And at age 99, 24 years after that original promise, God comes to him and says, Abraham, let me be clear. Stop trying. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son, born of your household, of Sarah. So don't go sleeping around anymore. That's going to be your child in one year. Sarah gets word of this. She's 89 years old, never been pregnant in her entire life. What does she do? She laughs. You would do it too if you're 89, never been pregnant. If you were pregnant in 89, you would laugh too, right? I mean, but that what was facing her. And, and cry. <laughs> uh, maybe. But she, she wanted a child, right? But she thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, right, God. Sure. Right? But guess what? 90 years old, she's, you know, nursing a young baby. Now, if you weren't sure, that was a miracle. <laughs> okay? I don't think it was an immaculate conception, but it was a pretty miraculous conception. Right? No, so here's the point. What, what, Paul, what Abraham say, or Paul's saying about Abraham. Abraham had two sons. One by the bondwoman, Hagar. One by the free woman, Sarah. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The one with Hagar, that was all his effort. Now, was what he was doing wrong? In a sense, no. I mean, it was adultery, so yes, it was wrong. But in a sense, he was trying to do the will of God. He was trying to do what God had promised. But he's trying to do it in his own strength, according to his own abilities. That's what the flesh is referring to, right? Trying to pull life off on his own terms. But the son, by the free woman, Isaac, born of Sarah, well, that was according to the promise. That was according to the covenant. That was according to the miraculous work of God. All done by God. Right? Now, this is allegorically speaking. These two sons... For these two women are two covenants. Hagar, the bondwoman, she represents the Mosaic covenant. Sarah, the free one, represents the Abrahamic new covenant. Right? One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, she is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. What happened at Mount Sinai? That's where they received the law. Have you ever noticed this? Here's a map. Quick geography lesson. Anyone? Mount Sinai is down here, right? So we've got Egypt here. Here's Egypt. Cross the Red Sea. This red line is supposed to denote their path, and, and here's the loops for 40 years. So they walk down here to Mount Sinai, receive the law, do the loops, and then eventually they cross the Jordan River into Jericho some 40 years later. And so Israel is here. Where do you notice Mount Sinai in relation to Israel? It's outside. Don't you find it interesting? The thing that defines Judaism the most 
is not from Jerusalem. It's not even from Israel. It's outside of Israel. Right? So here's the promised land. Here's the law. Outside. I find that interesting. Read what you want into that. Right? If it means nothing to you, then so be it. But I think it's kind of interesting that, that God in his, in, his, in his wisdom decides to add that, hey guys, it's Mount Sinai. Oh, but it's in, in Arabia. And it corresponds to present Jerusalem, meaning the Jews today. Those who are trying to, to work for righteousness. Zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, it says in Romans 10. For she is in slavery with her children. What's he just said about the children of Israel? Whose child are they? They all say, we're Abraham's son. Oh, yes, but you're Hagar's son too, right? You see, they were all saying, it's all about my father. Who's my father? Who's my father? But Paul comes along and says, oh, but it's about who's your mother, right? So long before Freud was there, here's Paul. Tell me about your mother. I mean, right? He's what is your, who's your mother, right? And he's basically saying to these people, these Jews, your mother is Hagar. Could there be a greater insult to a Jew? Right? Because Hagar had Ishmael, who later on became the father of what nation? The Arabs. Right? And if you haven't heard, Arabs-Israeli relations are a little on the rocky side nowadays. Go turn on the news. You'll find out. Trust me. It's there. And he's saying, these people in present Jerusalem, they're in slavery with her, Hagar's children. But the Jerusalem above is free. We, being Israel, we're free, for she is our mother. Right? For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman, that's speaking of Sarah, who does not bear. Break forth and shout, for you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. Far greater things are going to happen through Sarah than through Hagar. Far greater things are going to happen by the work of the Spirit than the works of the flesh. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise, children of miracle, children of what God has accomplished. Right, But as at that time he was born according to the flesh, but at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. In Genesis 21, it tells a story when you know Isaac was born, and, and Isaac literally means laughter, because they thought it was pretty funny that a 90-year-old woman gives birth. And so they called him Isaac, laughter. And, and now he's about two or three years old, and he's beginning to be weaned. Right? No more nursing. He's starting to turn to solid food and so forth. And when this is happening, Ishmael, who's still living at home at this point, he begins to mock. He begins to tease. And it's interesting because it says that as he's being weaned, Abraham, all excited, decides to throw this great feast. Ishmael, who's about 17 years old at this point, he sees the writing on the wall. That's more in love with with Isaac. Where, where do I fit in this? He becomes jealous. Now it's interesting because before Isaac came along, God was just, will you bless Ishmael? Or Abraham was to God, God, will you bless Ishmael? Bless Ishmael, bless Ishmael. In essence, bless my flesh. Bless my hard work for you. And God says, no way. Not on my life. No way. I will not bless that. I'm going to give you Isaac. Isaac is there. He's now being persecuted by, by Ishmael. And Sarah says, no, no, we're not having this. 
And so they cast out Hagar and they cast out Ishmael. Abraham's broken over this. He's all sad because it's his son. He loves his son. But God says, don't worry, I'll look after him. So what does it say here? The one he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. What's he saying? Judaizers will always persecute those free. Those under law will always persecute those that are under grace. Notice the order though. It is not those under grace will persecute those under law. But those under law will persecute those under grace. We'll get back to that in a second. Verse 30, but what does scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So cast out Ishmael. He's not going to be the heir. He should have been, rightfully so. He's the oldest, but God chose otherwise. He chose Isaac, right? Now, what is verse 30 saying? There's, there's a couple options. Option number one is some, some people believe that what God is saying, this is what God is going to do. He is going to cast out the legalist. He is going to cast out the Christian who's trying to live by the law. He's going to cast them out. That's not what this is saying. Because Scripture is not telling us what God is going to do. Scripture is giving a command to who? No. To us. This is what Paul is trying to tell us what to do. Right? This is a command for us. So it's not what God's going to do, it's what we need to do. So it's not, not God casting out the legalist. Okay, another option would be this. Is it cast off your legalism and return to grace? Well, does it fit the context of the passage? Yeah. I mean, think about what Paul's been doing this whole letter. Why have you deserted him? For this elemental system of the world, this law system. Get rid of the law system and return back to Jesus. Return back to Christ. What are you doing? What are you thinking? So it could be that. Well, another option. Is it we need to cast out the legalists? If there's a person in, in, in your church or, or in your assembly who believes that they can't have alcohol, or they believe they can't eat meat. Or they believe they have to wear certain clothes. Or dress a certain way. The legalist who believes that, do we need to cast them out? No. No. We love them. That's what Romans 14 is going to say. And we're going to look at that next week. So here's a precursor to that. But we love them. If you believe that... You have to not touch alcohol. That's okay. You're free to do so. If you believe you have to wear certain clothes, you're free to do so. If you believe you have to wear certain styles of, uh, of, of hair or, or certain jewelry or don't wear jewelry, you're free to do so. If you believe you have to abstain from certain foods, you're free to do so. You are free to live any way you want. That's, you're free, completely free. And as grace, we love and accept you. And so if, you're under the, if you've enslaved yourself to legalism, 
You don't have to. You're free. But you're free to, you're free to practice that if you so choose. We wish you didn't because we wish you'd had freedom. But we're not going to cast you out. And you see, what I've seen happen so many times is we've turned grace into a law. Thou shalt live by grace. <laughs> we do. Thou shalt be free. And if you're not, you're no longer acceptable. And we've blown it big time. We've made a disaster of it. And as Steve McVeigh calls it, we become a gracie, a Pharisee of grace. Right? And that's what we've become. We now control others because they don't believe what we believe, and so therefore they're no longer acceptable. And we judge others. We look down our noses at other people. There's no difference between those that are free and those that are not. Right? We're all one under Christ. Those that are under the law, those that are or trying to live by the law, or those that are under grace and living by grace, you're all one and the same. You're all complete in Christ. You're all righteous and justified. And if you want to live that way, you're free to live that way. So it's not cast out the legalist. What is it then? I think it's cast out the one who's persecuting the one under grace. Because think about what was Ishmael doing? He was persecuting Isaac. It was okay for a while, right? It was okay. They all lived under that roof for a little while. But the moment then Isaac starts to step up and begin to grow and start to, you know, be acknowledged as the heir, oh, now there's problems. I deserve it. And he begins to persecute. He begins to attack. And what Paul's saying is the one who's under law and is trying to force their law system on other people, cast that person out. So there are some who say you have to homeschool your children or you have to not homeschool your children. And they begin to force that now on other parents. Paul's saying cast those people out. Because it's one thing for you to decide to live that way, but don't come along and force others to do that. Now, it's interesting. In our churches, with church discipline, which can be good and is part of it, we discipline in our churches for people who have committed um, you know, out-and-out immoral activity. Right? The person caught in adultery. Church discipline can be, if used appropriately, can be a very healthy thing. But when was the last time you heard of a church disciplining someone for being a legalist? for being too religious. And here's the command. You see, it's really, I think Paul's getting this towards the leaders of the church. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the leaders of the church, to elders, some people call them. To be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. What are people going to do? 
People are going to come in and they're going to lead you away from Jesus. People are going to rise up within the church and lead you away from Jesus. Back to the elemental things. And they will then begin to force this law system on you. And as overseers, what are you to do when that happens? You pull them aside, and if they're not willing to keep it to themselves, you cast them out. You save the flock. Otherwise, the cancer grows and it spreads. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So chapter 5, verse 1. He's not done. He's not going to start a whole new section, right? I mean, when was the last time you, you saw it beginning of the, 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 the new chapter, right? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to, do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Don't let anyone put you under that law system again. Remember, you choose to. You're free to not do it. If you do, it's your choice. You're free to live that way, but it'll be miserable. You won't find life there, just misery and death. But stand firm. You'll have a tidal wave coming against you, but stand firm. All right, let's, let's go back a page on your, in your syllabus there. You're going to see this... Um, You're going to see this page here, freed from and freed to. If, if you notice the, the, uh, the name of the, the course is Galatians, freed from and free, to be free to, a verse-by-verse study. And, and I, I, I kept on going back and forth. Do I want to call it Jesus plus nothing? Because, you know, that's, that's a great description of the gospel. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus plus, not Jesus plus King James, not Jesus plus NIV, not Jesus plus going to church, not Jesus plus not drinking, not Jesus plus baptism, not Jesus plus speaking in tongues, not Jesus plus dot, dot, dot. It's Jesus plus nothing, period. And I, I, I thought it was a great title. But I, I think what I think I want be, you guys to see in this message in the book of Galatians, you're not just freed from something, you've also been freed to something. I think a lot of time we focus on what we're freed from at the expense of what we've been freed to. So I want to make a list of some things that we have been freed from. And conversely now, what we're free to. So what are some things that we've been freed from? Sorry? Death. death. Yeah, go ahead, just shut it out, right? So we've been freed from death, and what are we free to now? Life. Life. Right? What else? Rules or law? Law for acceptance? And now we've been free to grace and accepted. 
past tense, done deal. We've been freed from... Well, achieving system. We'll get to that one in a second, Danielle. Freed from an achieving system and freed... Um, sorry, this isn't... This should be free to... Free to a receiving system. Right? You've been freed from reading your Bible because you have to to read your Bible because you want to. Or simply put, you've been freed from have to, fill in the blank, to want to, fill in the blank. Right? Freeing from having to pray to free to wanting to pray. Right? You've been freed from working To rest, right? Because that's what we're doing and working for our, our gospel, working for grace. We're working for acceptance. We're working so we could have rest. Now, you're freed to work from rest, right? We no longer serve in the old way of, this, of the written code, but now we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So it's not a rest from working, it's working from rest. Right? Um, yeah, there, there is... Um, I, I wrote... I, I phrased that pretty good somewhere. Hold on. Um, freed from needing love from others... To giving love to others. Yep. Okay, so freed from um, emptiness. And then free to completeness. Uh, you've been freed from trying to be someone else. To be free to being yourself. Isn't that glorious? I mean, I want you to sit on this one for a second. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to be me. Amen, right? <laughs> you don't have to be the Apostle Paul. 
You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be your pastor. You don't have to be your spouse. Thank you. You can just be you. You can just be yourself. Right? Well, I think you are pleasing to God. So rather than freed from pleasing others, I think you're freed now to love others. Because trying to please others, you're often just trying to get love from them. Whereas now, you're free just to love them. Right? You're freed from working for love to now working through love. That's Galatians 5, 6. We'll see you next week. Right? We've been freed from fear. You know, being afraid. To love. Being loved. Yeah, that's in here. That's <laughs> have to fill in the blank. Right? Um, we've not necessarily been freed from guilt. We've been freed from condemnation. Because when you blow it, guilt is good. But you've been freed from condemnation, right? In order to be free to accepted and secure. Yeah, yeah. Free from having to give, to give, to now I'm able to give. Yeah, that's another great one, and that's. We'll get to that one in chapter 6 as well. Um, free from looking out for myself primarily. To um, caring, caring for others. Carrying their burdens at times. We've been freed from uh, living by law to now live by faith. We've been freed from judging others. Right? Because I need to judge you to see how I'm doing. And if I can find your faults, then I'm okay. So I'm free from judging others to now... Accepting others. I'm free from controlling others. Oh, yes, yes, others and situations to now love. Love those other people rather than trying to control them. 
Yes. Sure. Yeah, so trust. Trust God. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Freed from abuse. Both to others and from others. And now free to heal. Both heal from me and heal others as we lead others to Christ, to this freedom they have. Freed from being a slave to being a son. Um, Freeing from others control me. To me relaxing around them. What about free from being a sinner? Yeah. To now be a right. Fear uh, freedom from fear of punishment. And then free to enjoy relationship. Free from flesh. Free to spirit. Free from Satan. Free to... Jesus. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? What I want you to see is that if this was all it was that we were only freed from, that's just freed from negative stuff. This removes the negative, but it's this side here that gives me the positive. I'm now free to love. I'm free to live. I'm free to enjoy life for what it was meant to be. I'm free to be me. And you're free to be you. And we can love one another. We can accept one another. I mean, we're free from performing. And pretending... And then freed to be the church. We're free to be the light to the world because Christ is in us, wanting to reveal himself to those around us. Glorious freedom. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for this wonderful message of freedom and grace.
And my prayer is, Father, that we would have this desire now to live in this freedom. We would have a desire now to, to join you in what you're up to. To participate with you in this wonderful ministry to whoever you decide to bring along and cross our paths with. That we will join you in loving other people. And that we'll be free to love you. To know your love, to experience your love, and to love you because you first loved us. So Father, I pray for us that we would see that. I pray for our church as a whole, your bride, your adopted mature sons, your saints, that we would see this wonderful gospel and be who we are. Be who you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.